check out my new book, Coping Courageously, a heart-centered guide for navigating a loved one's illness without losing yourself. It's appropriate for you as a clinician, for your patients, and for anyone you know who has a seriously ill loved one or an aging parent. Check it out and tell a friend. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I'm Dr. Delia Caramonti. This podcast is for physicians who take care of patients with serious illnesses like cancer, dementia, advanced renal, cardiac, or neurologic disease. We are all about patient and family well-being, but also medical team and physician well-being. You'll learn things to help you heal your patients and yourself, and I am really glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. I'm Dr. Delia Caramonti, and today we're going to talk about what happens when you show up for the holidays at your, let's say, your parents' house or your older loved one's house, and oh my goodness, things don't look right. This is often a time of year when people realize that mom and dad or aunt and uncle are not doing as well as everybody thought. So that's why this is an important topic for right now. If you're about to go visit family members, what if you show up and you think, what happened to dad? Oh my gosh, last time I saw him, which maybe was six months ago or a year ago in person, he was so different. The first thing is people generally feel horrifically overwhelmed when they realize that someone that they care about is older and may not be doing as well independently at home as they used to or as they had hoped. This is how it often goes. Let's say you show up and your 85-year-old dad who has been living with your 83-year-old mom isn't doing well and mom ends up at the hospital. Let's say she falls and she ends up in the hospital and now dad is by himself and all of a sudden everybody realizes how much work mom was doing to keep it all together. And now that mom is not able to be home and taking care of dad, everybody realizes that his function has really declined. And so this is often how it goes. Someone will say, dad, you've got to hire an aide to come in and help you out. And dad says, absolutely not. Are you out of your mind? Forget it. I'm not doing that. And maybe dad is fully cognitively intact, or maybe dad is having some memory issues. But either way, people are very frequently not interested in hiring somebody to come in, which does not mean that that won't happen or that it shouldn't happen. But the truth is, it just isn't a welcome suggestion in the beginning for many people. So the overwhelming feeling that family members tend to have when they realize, oh my gosh, things are not going so well with our parents as we thought, is they're overwhelmed. They just feel like, how are we going to fix this? Mom and dad say no, they won't accept any help, but we don't think it's safe. And what are we supposed to do? And you know, we can't afford to have 24-hour care in the house, but they won't accept it anyway. And everybody gets kind of in a tizzy and feels stuck. So the tendency is to jump right to solutions. Okay, we're going to force them to get somebody in the house, and then each of us are going to go visit and help out as much as we can. And the problem with jumping right to solutions is, first of all, it feels overwhelming. Second of all, is often not well received by the, the loved ones. And third of all, it's not always the most accurate. So the most important place to start is with a really clear list of what are the problems. And not in an overwhelming big way, like, oh, it's all a mess, or they can, they're they not good anymore at home, but literally, what are the problems? And if you find yourself 
jumping right to what are the solutions? What are we going to do? Call my brother. What are we going to do? Try very hard to stop yourself. You might even put your hand out and say, wait, stop. We're going to talk about identifying the specific problems first. So start with identifying the specific problems. So figuring out exactly what your parent or loved one is willing and able to do is important. So one of the first things to think about is food. Who is going to buy the food, get it into the house, and prepare the food so that breakfast, lunch, and dinner are taken care of? Who's going to do that? Problem number two to think about is housekeeping. Who's going to do that? Is that something that your loved one is still able to do? Or should you hire a housekeeper, which sometimes is more easily accepted than a nurse or an aide. So should you hire a housekeeper? If you already have a housekeeper, say once a month, should you increase the frequency of housekeeping services? So who's going to do laundry? Who's going to wash the dishes? Who's going to change the beds? Who's going to vacuum? And if, if people can't do it themselves anymore, that's okay. You can hire people to do that. So food is number one to think about. And then number two is housekeeping. Another one that's important to think about is fall risk. So what's the fall risk for the loved one? And if they have a high fall risk, is there anything we can do to reduce it? So things like, could we get rid of the throw rugs? Could we make sure that there are no electrical cords strung across the walkways? Can we make sure there are grab bars? Would the person benefit from physical therapy? So fall risk is one of the things just to think about. Sometimes people use a life alert to make sure that they know if someone that they love has fallen. So food, housekeeping, fall risk. Another problem to look at are medical things, as in Does the person need to go to the doctor? Are there doctor's appointments coming up? Does the person need help with medications, either getting medications into the home, understanding which ones you take when, or making sure that they're actually getting from the pillbox into the mouth? So issues around doctor's appointments and medications. Another problem just to look at, to think about are physical symptoms. Is the person in pain or constipated? The next thing you want to pay attention to is their activities of daily living. So what's their ambulation like? Can they make it to the bathroom and shower? Can they get dressed? And if food is in the house and prepared, are they able to eat it? Another thing just to think about is how often you want to have eyes on the person. And you can do that in person by phone. It's not eyes, I guess it's ears, but you could also do it with FaceTime. How often do you want to just check in and make sure things are going okay? That's the first part is just really be clear about the problems. And so that might look like a list that says, dad can't drive, so he can't go shopping. He doesn't know how to cook, so dinners have to be easy. He's a little constipated. We should check on that. We need to get batteries for his hearing aids, right? So be really clear, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. What are the literal problems that you can address one by one? Because if you don't do it that way, it just feels so overwhelming. Like, oh my God, it's just a mess. Like, who can fix this for us? But sometimes if the person is overall still safe to be at home, if you address the individual issues, you can make it okay for now. Okay, so task number one is identify the specific problems. The next thing to think about is communication. I would say the number one thing is try not to argue. Sometimes when people are facing a cognitive decline and they say things wrong or they forget things or they tell stories again, their loved ones, not in any way meaning to be unkind, 
will argue with them and say, no, remember, it wasn't that guy, it was this guy, or you just told us that story. Why are you telling us that story again? And I would just highly recommend that you try not to do that. Because your goal with your aging loved one is really not facts. Your goal is connection. And so rather than saying, oh, you told us that story already, which then makes the person feel ashamed maybe and shuts them up and decreases your connection with your loved one, maybe instead do the opposite and say, oh, that's such a great story. What other stories do you have? Can you tell me even another story? Like how about for when you were 20 and in the army? Do you have any stories from then you could tell me? Because just remember, your goal is connection, not facts. Okay, so that's communication. So the first is to identify the problems. Second is to check in on your communication. The third is just to to plan. You can plan based on the problems you identified, meaning you could say, okay, somebody in the family once a week has to fill the fridge. We're going to increase the housekeeper from once a month to once a week. We're going to order a life alert. I'm going to fill the pillbox every week right? So just make specific plans based on the specific problems that you identified. And if you do it in that way, it will feel much less overwhelming and just impossible amount of details that are making you feel like you're drowning. Identify the specific problems like dad has to have dinner. And the solution is we're going to buy frozen dinners, label them by the day and put them in the freezer and show him where they are. That's an example of an identifying a specific problem and making a specific plan. So that's planning for the now. But then if you're even facing this kind of situation where you're starting to wonder, are your parents or loved ones safe at home alone? That means it's time to also start planning for a time in the future when they may not be safe at home alone. So maybe they're kind of on the borderline, but it's really okay now as long as you, you know, get a housekeeper and get the food delivered. But if you're having to do those things, now is the time, now is the time to plan for when that person is not safe to live at home alone. It's so tempting to put that off because it's unpleasant and it's sad and your loved one or parent or loved one doesn't want to talk about it and you don't want to talk about it. It's so easy to put that off, but please don't put that off. Please don't put off the conversation because if you're even having this thought now, you need to plan for the future when perhaps your loved ones can't stay home alone. So you can say something like, if there ever comes a time that you can't live alone, can we talk about what your plan would be? So you don't want to approach it like, I don't know, things don't look good for you now. Look how you, you know, can't cook anymore and you messed up you that thing and you haven't changed the sheets in forever. We have to talk about it because that feels really threatening to the person and it feels insulting to them and they don't want to have that conversation. But you can have a theoretical conversation at any time. You could have that conversation for yourself. I could have it for myself. So if you ask it like that, if there ever comes a time when you can't live alone, what would your plan be? That is a way that you can talk about it without saying you're a mess now and that's how we have to talk about it. You're just talking about a theoretical thing in the future, but you really need to talk about it. The kinds of things that you want to look at are, does this person have long-term care insurance that would allow them to age in place and hire people in place? Would they want that? Would they rather go to a facility like uh, independent living that has the ability for 
more intense care as they need it. And if that's their goal, do they have any idea yet of where they might want to go, which specific place they might want to live? Sometimes people know from friends who live in various places, which ones are good and make people happy. But really, the way to find out is to visit them. It's like visiting colleges. You can look at all the brochures in the world, but you don't know until you walk in the place if it feels right for you. So people wait way, way, way too long to visit various kinds of either independent living or assisted living facilities. You should do it when you don't need it. Do it when you don't need it. And that way you'll figure out how do the finances look? Could we afford this place? Do we need to sell the house first or we have enough money in the bank for the down payment? We wouldn't need to sell the house. Sort of how would it work given your financial situation? And sometimes these places have long waiting lists. So if you're feeling like it's starting to seem a little unsure how long your parent or loved one is able to live alone independently, and they might want to go to a assisted living or independent living, get yourself on a waiting list. So you can always, if your name comes up, you can always say no and put yourself back on the waiting list. But maybe by the time you are up for a space, maybe it's actually a good time for them to move. So it's always better to be prepared in advance. If you feel like getting a home health aid might be helpful, you can start to look online at various different home health companies. So just gather data. Even if you don't need it now, if you're even thinking about needing it, you should start to gather data. So you're going to identify the specific problems to help manage your overwhelm and make a plan. You're going to think about the way you communicate and focus on connection, not facts. You're going to do some planning for the now based on your problems that you identified and for the theoretical future, even before you need it. And then you want to think about, is there anything that you need to tell the doctor? Because maybe there is. Are there increasing memory concerns? Has it been nine days since your loved one went poop? And, you know, somebody needs to address this constipation. Do they have a hearing issue maybe that's making it hard for them to communicate? Should they have a visit to an audiologist to get a hearing aid if they don't already? Do they have pain that is making it hard for them to move around so they're not as active, so they spend more time on the couch and alone, which is not good for their functioning? Are they feeling anxious or depressed, which we have many treatments for? Do they have a wound that's starting? If they've been sitting around on the couch too much, do they have a wound on their rear end? Because if so, catching those early and treating them is so much better than waiting for them to progress. Or has their ability to ambulate decreased significantly? Should they be seeing PT or should they get medication for arthritis? Maybe they're having pain in their knees or they're not ambulating, so they spend more time alone on the couch and they're becoming deconditioned. Do make sure to talk to a doctor, ideally a geriatrician, about the physical things that you're seeing. So then overall, overall, my suggestion to you is that you shoot for C-plus solutions for now if you're in a little bit of a crisis, as in not A-plus solutions, because it's so overwhelming to even manage this kind of situation if you see an acute decline in your loved one, or even if it's not acute, it's been happening for a while, but it looks acute to you because you're just showing up for the holidays and now you're seeing it. So shoot for just good enough solutions for now. And what I mean by that is, okay, mom needs help getting dinners together. We could buy her a ton of organic food that she would have to prepare, but maybe that's not good. We could cook for her 
seven meals at a time and freeze them and label them in the freezer. That would be great, but boy, is it a lot of work for you. That's A plus work. I highly recommend you don't do that. Do C plus work for now, which might be buying a bunch of reasonably healthy frozen dinners, labeling them by the day and putting them in the freezer. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be good enough. Okay. Shoot for frozen dinners over organic homemade meals for now, just for now in the crisis time. Recognize that it is completely normal to feel overwhelmed. Everybody in this circumstance feels overwhelmed and approaching this systematically makes that feel better. So don't beat yourself up for feeling overwhelmed. It's not because you're doing something wrong. It's truly not. This is just an overwhelming circumstance. So gather the troops of all the people who can help manage the situation and then divvy up the tasks. So is there you and your sister and your brother-in-law and one of your adult kids and your spouse, maybe? Could everybody do a little bit? Try not to take all of it on yourself. Get everyone together, talk about the problems, which you've written down, the specific problems, and make a plan for each thing. Who is going to take on each thing? Like somebody might be up for cutting the toenails. Another person might be up for filling the fridge. Another person might be up for filling the medication box. And then if you're going to do some kind of checking on your loved one with regularity, like every other day we want to call or every day we want to call, divvy up that task too, so that maybe Tuesdays and Fridays are your days to call. And then somebody else is in charge of calling on the other days. Because otherwise, if you don't divvy it up like that, everybody feels kind of responsible all the time and you don't get a break. So I really recommend that you figure out all the tasks, figure out who's the team, and talk about every single task that has to happen and divvy it up so that nobody feels that all of the tasks are falling on them. And then the last thing, which is so, so important, and I know it sounds a little cliche, but I don't know how to talk about it in a way that doesn't sound cliche, but you got to fill up your own cup too, because if you are empty, you can't do this work. You just can't. So how do you fill up your own cup? If you haven't listened to the episode on filling up your own cup, please go back and listen to that because it tells you specifically how to do this exercise that is really helpful for preventing yourself from getting depleted. But the cliff notes are, if we're thinking about our emotional, physical, spiritual cup, when it's empty, everything's harder. When it's full, everything's more tolerable. And there's two parts to that equation, which is some things empty our cup and some things fill it up. So we want to do less of the things that empty our cup, more of the things that fill it up. If keeping your house clean is stressful for you, but it's really important to you or the other person who lives with you, so that empties your cup, then hire somebody to clean the house if you're able. That fills up your cup. If not getting enough sleep empties your cup and more sleep fills your cup, then go to bed an hour earlier. If spending a half an hour a day reading fills your cup, then spend a half an hour a day reading because dealing with an acutely unstable parent is emptying. So you can't get rid of that one, but you can get rid of the extra emptiers, like maybe you're volunteering for something you don't have to do and you can let that go. Or maybe you can get groceries delivered so you don't have to go to the market and then do more of the things that fill your cup play with your dog, go for a walk, do adult coloring books, sleep enough, exercise, 
do yoga, breathe, listen to guided imagery apps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's different for everybody, but do more of the things that fill you up and less of the things that deplete you so that your cup is full enough that you can manage a tough task, like dealing with a loved one who needs extra help. Okay. So thank you for being here. Your homework is if you are facing this in your family, if there's anyone in your family that's facing this situation, your homework is to write down the literal specific problems that need to be addressed and start making a plan to address each one by gathering the troops and divvying up the responsibilities. If you have someone in your more extended family who's facing this, then your homework is to send this episode to them. And if you are not facing this right now, but you have patients who are, then your homework is to raise this issue with your patients and give them some advice about how to handle this circumstance in their family. If you don't have patients who are facing this now and you are not facing this now, then your homework is to speak to a a person in your life who you think may face this in the next five or 10 years and just ask them, hey, and this may sound like a strange question, but if you were ever in a circumstance where you couldn't live alone, what would you want to do? What would you want to have happen? What is your plan? All right. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for listening. Please do forward this to anyone that you know is facing an issue like this. And if you found this helpful, please do leave a review and I will see you next Thursday. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Integrative Palliative Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Integrative Palliative Medicine. If you find value in this podcast, please do two things for me. Number one, share with a colleague. This is how we spread the word and I really need your help. And number two, please do leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It would really mean the world to me. You can find me at integrativepalliative.com and also on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Come find me, reach out, send me an email and come check out on the website, our upcoming physician training programs. It's been great to have you here and I'll see you next Thursday.